your your character's inner dialogue is like the mold, the form through which the story is shaped. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt, one word at a time. Taylor, today we're going to talk about avoiding having story elements in your head and not putting them on the page, and we're going to use some of something that you fixed in the short story of mine that where I gave you the intro material. So we're going to use that as sort of a, a jumping off point into the discussion. We will get to that. But first, I've got to ask you, how did the Patreon launch go? You, you sort of soft launched it a little bit to the podcast audience in your Facebook group. And now it's it's going out to your email list. So how'd it go? It went well. I am really quite excited because one of the hardest things in the world to do, which corporations spend billions of dollars every year trying to figure out is to encourage people to take action on something, to actually do it. Mm -hmm. And um, when I sent out the newsletter, I had very, very limited expectations, not because I didn't think that people appreciate what I do, not because I don't have anything of value to offer, but because we all have very busy lives and uh, we all have expenses. And it's not like there's a lot of room in people's budgets. They might love you to death, but if they're living off of Social Security, that not being able to contribute to your to your campaign doesn't mean they don't love you. It's just they got to eat, you know? So unknowing that, my my readers come from all walks of life, and if this is a really big thing to ask. I had very, very modest expectations, and I was quite just overwhelmingly happy that there were so many people who jumped right in, and those who couldn't I, I got so much love from mm-hmm. people saying, you know, I, I just congratulations and I wish you the best. I, I can't contribute because of, you know, Social Security or medical or all, all kinds of reasons. But they were there. They were they were with me and they were present. And it just it, it was really a really lovely experience. And we crossed our first goal. Um, I have multiple goals set up to see if we can get some, you know, as we phase in, if we ever manage to grow it that big. But the first goal was to be able to cover all the expenses of running the podcast and the websites and the mailing lists and all the freebies and the things that we're giving. And so those have now been covered on a monthly basis. And the weight off my shoulder is just, it's tremendous. It's, it's awesome. And I, I, I've got to say, of it, just to people that are out there listening, we were talking before we came on the air, and I am I like to think of myself as the idea man. I'm constantly coming up with new work for Taylor to do. And (laughs) so I came up with this and I said, hey, we should do this. And for the first time ever, she said, you know, there's actually some money coming in now. We could do that. (laughs) (laughs) So that was very exciting. So now I've got to ratchet up my ideas a little bit. Take it slow. slow. I'm so (laughs) used to you saying, no, no, no. I don't have the time. We don't have the money. 
So yeah, it's exciting. exciting. And kudos to you on that postscript. I'd already read the Monroe material and and loved it, as I, I mentioned in a previous show. But despite the fact that we talk constantly and chat constantly, I didn't have the complete story, and I'm reading that, and it, I, it read like a novel to me. And it's like this is this is it's just so great to to really feel like now I understand the, the whole story and the whole thing. I've gotten a lot of feedback about that postscript, and we can't talk about it exactly on the air, so we're being a little bit vague. But for those who read it, um, it I've gotten a lot of feedback on it. It, it people are quite jaw drop like oh my god i had no idea so yeah i I put a lot of work into that um trying to 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 condense it all into a readable format it's like two or three years of life condensed into a readable format so um thank you steve and i have a feeling that everything that was in your mind wound up on the page so (laughs) that was such a good segue As longtime listeners know, Steve has been working on a project and I've been helping him with it. And we've talked about some of the edits on this show and I've done some screen time explanation of the edits and my suggestions on Patreon. And in this piece that he had, it was a short, this his short story, this intro to his short story piece, he handed over um, and, and I worked it over for him. And one of the things that was really interesting in there is there was this part where I said, well, I'm not really sure who's doing the speaking. And I understand, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that this is this character and I'm going to edit it based on that. And I was completely wrong. Who I had assumed was speaking was not who Steve had intended. And it was because there was information missing on the page. There were no clues leading the reader to know what was going on. So instead of taking my fixes, Steve went back and fixed it, fixed it originally. And when I read his fixes, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But there was material missing on the page. And interestingly enough, it's one of those situations where when you're coming up with this stuff or when – I mean it could be at any part part in the writing process. It's you've got what's in your mind and and you see what's on the page and you assume that the two are the same. It's like when you proofread your own, your own work and you don't see the – uh, the, the typos or the two twos in, that where you just wanted one two, um, and things like that. So th- this was a situation where it started. The first problem was that I didn't have a close quote, so it it wasn't completely obvious who was talking. But I had this guy in in the boat who was a salesperson. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read your original. That'll okay. Just be the All right. Easiest, good because right? I couldn't even find it. So. Um... What I don't have on hand, and we might have to pause, and and I'll go hunt it down, are my corrections. But I have your original, and I have your fix right here on my screen. And in this scene, this um, woman named Cassie is there on a a yacht, and she's in the stateroom, and she's leaned over on the bed, right? And so she leaned forward, propped herself on one elbow, and pulled at the covers. Her voice echoed in the small room, bouncing around wood-paneled walls. What's back here? 
My phone vibrated, so I backed out of what they'd call the stateroom and let Jeffrey take my place. He was a nice-looking kid, mid-twenties maybe, about a decade younger than me. There's a foot of extra space there that can be used as storage for linens or other necessities. I know of one couple who stockpile their wine in that space. So for me as the reader, where it, where it became confusing is that because I don't know these characters, I don't know what comes before, what comes after. Well, obviously, this is the opening, but I don't know who Jeffrey is. There's no indication so for all i know he's a character that comes shows up later whatever and there was also no break in the separating the action my phone vibrated let jeffrey take my place there was some description of jeffrey but then there was no break it went right into dialogue without any form of attribution so the pieces were mostly there, but there was no explanation about who Jeffrey was. And that right there, that missing piece, who's Jeffrey, is what made it so that the reader didn't know who was actually speaking. It, so in my own mind, the reader knew the placement of the people inside the stateroom, and they understood who he was, and I was – Shocked! I had to actually read what I'd written several times to understand how Taylor could have been confused about who that was, and then I'm like, huh. I, I still really didn't get it until I saw you talking about it on on the video that you'd done, and then it's like, oh, now I see. There was no no reference, so um, I just hunted down my my notes for this originally, and how I changed it to was. My phone vibrated, so I backed out of what they'd called the stateroom and let Jeffrey take my place. He was a nice-looking kid, mid-20s, maybe about a decade younger, younger than me. And then I tagged Cassandra as being the speaker. Cassandra said, and then I reworked it a little bit to make it clear that she was, she was speaking. And my notes on this were disembodied voice question mark and this is something that i'm always at steve about no, oh my gosh voices. and when i read that in in the notes i'm like i just wanted to bang my head against the desk <laughs> as as you can imagine from listening to this show and hearing it so often <laughs> so i was like it's unclear who's speaking also there's an end quote missing it's not clear where the dialogue ends this might be a typo in that it's not supposed to be dialogue at all. But since I'm not sure, I'm just going to take a guess with it and work with it as if it's Cassandra still speaking. And so that's, that's where I ran with it. But really, what it was meant to be was this. She leaned forward, propped herself on one elbow, and pulled at the covers. Her voice bounced around wood-paneled walls. What's back here? My phone vibrated, so I inched out of what they called the stateroom and let Jeffrey take my place. He was a nice-looking kid, mid-twenties maybe, about a decade younger than me. Like any good salesperson, he had the answer to Cassie's question. There's a foot of extra space that can be used as storage for linens or other necessities. I know of one couple, one couple who stockpiles their wine in that space. That one line, like any good salesperson, he had the answer to ask. He had the answer to Cassie's question. That clarified everything, and Trent, it explained who Jeffrey was. It explained who was speaking without the need for any dialogue tags, and there's no confusion from that point on over what's actually happening. 
So the the point of this show is to ask Taylor, how do we do this? Just as it, in the general course of reading our own work before we send it to someone else, uh, whether that be an editor or a beta reader or a friend or whomever that might be, how do we spot this stuff ourselves? Because I probably could have read that from, from now until uh, you know two weeks before Christmas, and I, I would not have caught that. Well, I don't think there's a way to 100% guarantee catching everything because we all have our blind spots as authors. But I think one really, I don't want to say easy because it's not easy and it takes training. It's, it's part of learning the, the craft to pick up on this, but it ties into our discussion about depth of character which there's a whole section of that on the Patreon page, and I don't remember how much of it actually we covered on the podcast. What you did in this one um, sentence here, like any good salesperson, he had the answer to Cassie's question, that's inner dialogue. And that inner dialogue is leading up to explain what happens next. And often when we have scenes that aren't working, the answer, even if it's not this same problem, can be that the answer comes through depth of character and depth of character comes through inner dialogue by giving by the character giving his take or her take on what's happening in the moment. It creates a depth of character, but it solves more than just one issue. And in this case, and I would say in many cases, your your character's inner dialogue is is like the mold, the form through which the story is shaped. And if you don't have enough inner dialogue, the it just becomes action by action by action dialogue, whatever. But it's missing that depth. If you have too much of it, it becomes very overly introspective. But just enough in the right place. It, it, it it's guiding, it's creating, and it's giving the reader the little bits and hints of information that they need to know. And the way that you did it here wasn't Jeffrey was the salesperson. That would have been just telling us, and it would have been very boring and very awkward. You gave us the information through the character's point of view, through Reggie's point of view. And that, if, if, you're, if you don't have enough of it, that is your clue that there's going to be information missing to the reader. All right. And whenever you say things like that, I want to know exactly how much is enough, exactly how much is too much. And I know the answer is there is no exactly. But how can you tell if there's enough? Is there like a ratio? If you look at a page and it's all dialogue, or if you look at several pages and it's all dialogue, or how do you know? Okay, so I'm just going to riff off of this, and I could be completely wrong. This is just a gut instinct answer, and it's not like I've sat down and really thought this through. I could change my mind three months from now. Probably what's going to happen is I'm having now been asked the question. As I start working, I'm going to be mindful of the answer, so I may come back and go, uh, actually... But just off the top of my head, when I'm doing dialogue or point, plot points, this happened, that happened, I'm going to want to have a character insight or um, I'm, that character insight is going to 
fill pretty much every transition, like transitions within a scene, transitions with within as you're as you're structuring the way that you're telling the story. So if we look at this paragraph here that we were just talking about, we have my phone vibrated, so I inched out of what they'd call the stateroom and let Jeffrey take my place. That is movement. That's facts, right? We're just setting the scene of something that's happening. He was a nice-looking kid, mid-20s, maybe about a decade younger than me. That is giving information. It's, it's scene-setting. It's telling. And we could go into it from there and just say, Jeffrey you know, said whatever. And that would work, but it wouldn't give the depth. And I always like to give the information through the character's perspective because it's so much more descriptive and enjoyable than doing it as just stating, stating, stating. So here you had statement in movement, then you had statement as observation, and that's a really good place right there is get some inner inner dialogue, inner his um it's a his opinion about a person, right? How he feels about the situation and then move on. So you're looking for something like that every, you know, three, four, five, whatever. Even if it's something as simple as being observant of a person's body language and interpreting it or um, having a reaction to something that the other person said and how that character is going to react upon it, even if those words don't come out of their mouth. So I'm thinking on a page, you've probably got five or six of these things. Maybe some of them are going to be weightier than others. In some cases in the Monroe books, one of her inner dialogue sessions, when she's like trying to figure something out or thinking about a person and analyzing him, the whole page could be it. Mm -hmm. But when you're moving from thing to thing to thing, these are your transitions. That's how, in those transition places, that's how you give it uh, the depth of character. It's also going to um, to make it easier to transition from one thing to the next without it feeling stilted. And it'll provide the information that the reader needs. Okay, so when we're reading our own work, are we essentially just looking for scenes that just feel a little bit flat, like they're, they're yes. missing a little something, and then yes. thinking... Depth of character, I'm missing some depth of character here. Yes, I'm missing, I'm missing inside the characters, how the character's feeling, how they're interpreting this situation. Is this making them angry? Is it making them laugh? Is it, is it prompting them to, to, to take action on something? If any time you get to a scene and you feel like it's falling a little flat or something, something, a little something is missing, immediately go to what's the character thinking? Okay, and now let's take it to the opposite extreme, because I'm reading a book now by an author who I've been reading for, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, and I've always enjoyed his work, and I'm reading something now, and he is so deep inside the character's head that it's like he's having a conversation with his nephew, and the conversation's... There's a pause in the conversation on one page, and four pages later, he answers the question, and what's in between is is this inner dialogue, and I'm like, 
oh my God, get on with the story. Get on with it. Yeah. If you, that's like, it's, I mean, okay, again, every reader is going to be different, right? And there could be that his core readership really, really likes it. I, I don't know who you're talking about. Well, I'm his core, I'm his core readership. Okay. And, so, but it, this particular book just seems I'm, it's as though it is it is so introspective, and maybe that's the point of the book because uh, the, the the main character is on sort of a journey, and you know a lot of it's going on in his mind. So maybe that is that is the point, but it's so different than what he's written in the past. Yeah. So the question isn't so much if if it works. It's does it work for what his readers are expecting? Yes. Because those are two very different subjects. And if his readers, even if he's done everything right, and that's not what his readers are expecting, it's not going to work um, because it's not his typical style. But in more of a character-driven literary piece or something, that might be perfect. So that's why it's like you can't, I don't, like, how much is enough? I right. don't know. What are you writing? And, you know, what's your voice like? And what are your readers? There's so much that goes into answering that question. When it gets to be a lot, like, I, I do get complaints from readers. Well, not to me personally. I'll see them in reviews. But I can also tell from the person who's writing the review that they're not familiar with the series when they say this. And they'll be like, this character just spends too much time thinking about, I don't know, her situation or something. Monroe is very introspective, mm -hmm. but I may have gone overboard in, in some of those cases. And so it's really, to me, it, the, the question is, is it interesting? Does, do these inner thoughts build character, drive the plot, or are we mired in stuff that just is boring? And the, the, biggest sin you can commit as an author is being boring. Now, I don't think any author goes in there and thinks, oh, I'm going to write something boring. It's, it's never like that. It's just that sometimes we can get blind to what's actually interesting. I've, I've had whole scenes cut out of my books by editors, and they'll, they'll tell me it's not that the scene is bad. It's just not really moving the story forward enough. And I'll be like, yeah, but you know, this is kind of critical to what happens way later. And, and they'll be like, yeah, but in the moment, it's just dragging on. And so I have to make the decision at that point, do I cut it all or do I pare it way down? And sometimes by paring it way down, it can be worse than cutting it all because then you end up with a scene that falls flat because there's not enough in it anymore. So that's all part of what craft is, is learning how to take a scalpel to what already exists and pull out a sentence here, two sentences there, and and compress it all so that you get more or less the same amount of story or emotional impact without all the boring stuff. And so if if you're so close to characters, you you or like was it Stephen King who would say, kill your darlings, you know, mm -hmm. you just love this piece so much that you, you can't bear to pull it out. It's because you're thinking, oh, this is an awesome piece of writing or whatever, but the readers don't care about that. So, um, it, it's just, it's, it's a learning, it's learning. You have, it's a skill, it's practice skill and you get a feel for it. And it could very well be that 
you know, he's setting me up for something. He's setting the reader up for something with this deep introspection for, I mean, it's like literally like a third of the book. And I feel like I know exactly where it's going. And, and this is a skilled storyteller. So he's probably taking me down the garden path and I'm going to be surprised and pleased at the end. But if I hadn't read 20 of his books, I would just toss it aside and move on to the next thing. Right. And uh, which just surprises the heck out of me with this particular author. And, I, you know, you talk about Monroe's introspection. And for some reason or other, that's always different for me. And, and maybe it's because of depth of character. I feel like I know her so well and I'm reading and, and her introspection is – more of an opportunity to learn more about the way she sees the world or sees a situation or will deal with a situation. And so it's always entertaining and interesting and sticks with you as a reader. And and again, that depends on the reader, because if somebody goes into that, into one of my more um, introspective books, expecting pure adrenaline, even though, the adrenaline is there and it's more of a psychological adrenaline in this sense, they're going to be disappointed because they had a certain set of expectations that weren't met. So it's a, it's a toss up. Like sometimes it just, you just don't know. I, I never know until a book publishes and the feedback starts coming in from readers, how it's going to be received. Um, it's impossible. And so going back to the situation of how do we make sure all the information is on the page? Well, if it feels flat or, you know, it doesn't seem to be there, then you know you need something. And then how do we know if it's too much? Is it boring? Do you find yourself yawning as an author trying to get through those through mm-hmm. that segment? You know, are you captivated by the story? And it it's, can be really hard to gauge if you, you've read the book for 50 times now. Right. But I find that if I'm reading it for 50 times and my eyes are not flowing from paragraph to paragraph really into it, even still, then it's either too much or not enough. And you just got to kind of figure out which one it is. Okay. So I, I think we have covered the topic. I'm getting a sense that, you know, where we went through that period where we talked a lot about disembodied voices, I'm getting a sense that we're going to be talking a lot about depth of character over the course of the next uh, several weeks. And I think that's probably a really good thing, especially for me and, and hopefully for the readers as well. So we've got some interesting shows coming up. We're not going to talk about what they are, but but we're really going to be targeting in on, on some things. I'm excited to uh, to get on with some of the stuff that, that we've got planned. Um, any Words of wisdom, Taylor, when we, before we wrap up? <laughs> words of wisdom. More that's a ad- good additional one. words that's of wisdom? Good, no, that's a good one. Um, no, I don't. Just keep writing. That's my words of wisdom. And if, if you have it in you and you haven't checked out my Patreon page, I'd really appreciate it because that's what's keeping the lights on. And uh, yeah, that, that's my words of wisdom. Okay, and if you have any, if you have any story issues, email them, post them in the Taylor Stevens fan club page. Uh, let us know because we will be getting back to doing more of that uh, in, in the in the relatively near future. So we need we need that material. So if if you have questions or have problems, we'd love to hear those. Otherwise, we'll be back again next week. Be with you next week.